Welcome to the July 21st, 2006 edition of The Relevant Podcast, the audio companion to Relevant Magazine and RelevantMagazine.com. I'm Cameron Strang, and here with me again is the truncated editorial crew, editorial director Kara Davis. Hello. And web content producer Jesse Carey. Hello there. Our managing editor, Adam Smith, is on assignment in Africa still. <laughs> he will be joining us for, the, for next week's podcast with full recap from the front lines. Coming up in entertainment releases in theaters today, we have the highly anticipated Lady in the Water by M. Night Shyamalan. I've, I've heard some bad things so far. <laughs> yeah, even the interview that he did with um, USA Today, the huge life life section cover story, you know, the the same place that they did our mm-hmm. story yeah. about us. Um, a little plug there. Mm-hmm. Uh he he was even talking about like if this is a huge bomb, maybe that'll be the best thing for his career because um, it'll lower expectations for his next movies and there won't be the pressures and there was he's just oh, tired wow. of all the pressure. I feel like there was already, I don't know. I feel like coming off the village, he's already has pretty low expectations. See, the village to me had a one one really good twist, but you know it's like I didn't I didn't enjoy the other two hours. I enjoyed mm-hmm. the twist though. Yeah, I, I you know I didn't dislike the film, but I. It was impossible not to be disappointed because the hype going into it yeah. was huge. Well, the sixth sense essentially was the same thing, where there was just the one big twist. Mm-hmm. But the sixth sense, the full two hours was still really good. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, th- I felt like the village was just kind of biding its time until the big twist. I, I know a lot of haters on signs, but I loved it. You know, like I, I, I thought, I, you know, the the story wasn't all that compelling. I mean, it, it was. It had the religious angle, but I just thought the film was made very well. Okay, here's my here's my beef with M Night. Okay, he he needs to quit showing the monsters. Yes, because I agree. like the thing that ruined signs for me was when the alien was in the room and yeah. walking around, and you got a good look at it, and it looked like a guy in a costume. Yeah, yeah. we're like, if he would have just left it at the fleeting little. Yeah, or the fingers under the door. Yeah, it would have been so much scarier than mm-hmm. actually seeing it. And he does. He did that in the village. Yeah, I was gonna say he the does village. It, he it does was. it in this one, where it's like you know, like just in the previews, you see these big grotesque creatures walking around, and it's just like, oh, that's what they look like. I mean, I don't know. It just looks like people <laughs> right. in costumes. Yeah, I, I think he he needs to go back to the less is more fear suspense mm -hmm. fear the unknown you know I I didn't even know when they were originally marketing the film I didn't even know it was a horror thriller I thought it was like a fantasy movie well it is a fantasy movie but but now they're marketing it as how sick he is it's a bedtime story that he tells his little girls (laughs) and and the little girls he's making this movie for his little girls because it's a story that he he would tell them every night when they go to sleep well I I read an interview with him it was early poor children (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, they're they're demented they are demented Um, I read I read an interview with him early on in his career where you know he he would just like his his job was to revise scripts and give advice and like he wasn't really getting anywhere as a screenwriter and he wrote wrote some movie that Rosie O'Donnell was in and it it just tanked and the I baseball heard, movie 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's no crying in baseball. But uh, anyway, so he decided... That was that, the line he added. Yeah. <laughs> it made the movie. But no, he... Uh, was this big monster in the tour bus. That was Rosie O'Donnell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but anyway, so he decided, like, I want to make it in Hollywood. So he knew that the kind of movies that were selling were big horror thrillers. And so he, re- like, he crafted his career knowing that that was a marketable, those were marketable movies. Yeah, well, he was right. But his stuff wasn't, I wouldn't ever say his stuff is horror. His stuff is suspense thrillers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you seen, have you, you've seen um, Steven Spielberg's debut movie no. called Duel? No. It, it's, yeah, it's called Duel. And and it uh it's about a guy who is being stalked by a trucker. He's on a, a road piano trip. Bar? <laughs> yeah. He he's being stalked by a trucker and it's very the same thing. It's very a psychological uh, horror, you huh. know. You never you never see the well, I don't want to spoil. You don't spoiler. see the trucker? Yeah, I don't want to I don't want to have a spoiler for a 30-year-old movie, but you never <laughs> see the trucker. But really? it's a uh, yeah, it's a trucker horror movie. But it's but it's kind of what launched Spielberg's career. Interesting. Also coming out. Uh, speaking of horror movies, Monster House. Mm. Okay, so that's here's, Spielberg. Yeah, Spielberg again. Producer. I, every time I see this this uh, preview, I just I I wish they would have made it live action. Because if, <laughs> how would they do the house? No, listen, though? if it was live action, it could have been like Goonies. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it, would, it could have right. been a classic. But yeah. the fact that it's CGI kids, you just don't relate to them. They feel plasticky. Uh, how do they do the house easily? I mean, it, CGI the house or parts of the house or whatever, mm-hmm. but have live action film. It could have been so much better. It could have been the next Goonies. Why haven't they tried? Why haven't there been a Goonies-esque movie up to now? Well, it's Monster House right there. I don't know. Clerks 2 with Kevin Smith. Driving in um, to work today, I, Kevin was interviewed on NPR, mm-hmm. and they they played a lot of clips from from the movie and talked about, oh, there's this kid who worked at the fast food restaurant with them, and he's a Christian. And the kid was a devout Christian, but he loved Transformers. And and they're like, and they're making fun of him. They're like, how, 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 you know, growing up in your household, were you allowed to watch Transformers? And they're like, the kid was like, well, you know, machines that turn into other machines isn't blasphemous. And, 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 and then the main character or whatever goes, uh, you know, Jesus Christ came to the earth to die for our sins, rose again. Transformers is blasphemous because all we can do with the world that he created was make crappy cartoons like Transformers. Oh. And, also, and uh, That's blasphemous. It's blasphemous. And so the interviewer NPR said, you know, Clerks 2 deals with something that keeps recurring in all of your films. It seems to be comics and God. Hmm. And Kevin said, well, yeah. I mean, he's like, I really love both of those things. He said, um, I'm incredibly spiritual. He said, I grew up Catholic, and I realized that I wasn't fitting into the Catholic rules very well, and that maybe all those rules didn't apply to me. And so, if I can't keep the rules of the club, I kind of had to leave the club. Hmm. But he said, I'm incredibly spiritual. I have a deep Christian faith. I pray every day. He said, I've actually been praying a lot this week because Clerks 2 is debuting on Friday. <laughs> but uh, but he said, um, that's why God and comics keep reoccurring in my movies because well, those are the, kind of the two most important things in my life. Obviously, I, I can't, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying anything to judge him, but I've, I, maybe I'm just not like, I'm not on the, the Kevin Smith 
you know, fan club it's here. Bandwagon. Yeah. Or, <laughs> but I, I mean, I saw Clerks one and I felt dirty after I watched it. Well, and, this and one, it, th- there was, there was a reviewer. I think it was Gene, uh, Hackman. Yeah, it was uh, Gene Shanlin or something like uh, one of the big the guy with the big mustache. Yeah, the guy guys. the guy with the big mustache. Kind of <laughs> he in the middle of a, a press screening, he got up and says, "I can't take any more of this smut. I've never walked out of a movie in thirty wow. uh, years, and I'm leaving." Well, apparently, this is a huge bestiality scene with a donkey. Yeah, um, and so yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that Kevin Smith is a Christian, but I'm just saying I thought it was really interesting that he was saying that at NPR on NPR. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Maybe he thought he was talking to a Christian radio station. <laughs> <laughs> National Prayer Radio. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, he, you know, the fact that he's grappling with it, I think is legitimate. And that shows up yeah. in his in his films. He he pushes the envelopes to shock people, but there's still this like baseline of looking for God. Mm-hmm. And and I, I think it's a legitimate um thing to say that he's seeking he's hungry he's spiritually hungry i mean i would never recommend somebody go see clerks yeah. too but you know it's something that's just i thought it was really interesting to have that context yeah totally where he's coming and, from. and one thing i mean whether i don't know what's really saying about him or the film or whatever but like i said after i watched it i felt like i needed to, to get your life right yeah I, I i didn't want to be like that you know what i mean it, it, it just like disturbed me almost you know what i mean yeah and well, he's, he, he talks a lot about people who are just kind of listless and aimless in life, and they're looking, um, you know, he, they're not ambitious in a career sense, if you notice that. A mm-hmm. lot of his movies, the only one that really doesn't focus on this kind of listlessness is Jersey Girl with Ben Affleck, his last mm-hmm. movie, which just absolutely bombed. Yeah. And he actually mentioned that. Um, he said, you know, I, I, I get the everyman, the guys who are okay working at a fast food restaurant mm-hmm. because he said they're not ambitious in a career sense. They just want a certain kind of life where they're happy and maybe they're happy by having a comic book collection or maybe they're happy by having a family or something like that, but they mm-hmm. just, that's enough for them. Mm-hmm. You know, he said, I, I kind of get that. Most of my friends are that way. Hmm. But what I find interesting is you have those people that are just kind of like accepting their realities, mm-hmm. but they're still looking to fill voids in their life. Mm-hmm. And that's why you see them get his characters getting into drugs or mm-hmm. getting into weird sexual things or whatever, because they really are looking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's honestly the state of the American condition right now. Right. Yeah. In some aspects of their life, they've settled, but they don't see it as settling. They just don't want more than what they have, mm-hmm. but they're looking for more in other areas. And I think Kevin Smith is looking for more in other areas. I mean, listening to him on NPR today was incredibly interesting. Um, I actually thought we need to try and track him down and do an interview with him. One, one other thing that really kind of turned me off of Kevin Smith is I was on an airplane and they were, you know, that they show sitcoms, they have a sitcom hour and Joey was on and Kevin Smith had like the weakest, it was like a Joey gets an interview, like a, a rehearsal or something with Kevin Smith. And I was like, this is remarkably cheesy. <laughs> and that kind of put a bad taste in my mouth remarkably. as well. Remarkably. As well as the smudge. So it's more more cheesy than every other episode of Joey. Yeah. Oh. Wow. Uh, last and least coming out this weekend is My Super Ex-Girlfriend, starring Uma Thurman and Luke Wilson. Um, and uh, Rain Wilson. Is that its white name? Rain Wilson? Dwight. Yeah, Dwight Schrute. <laughs> and Sweet. starring Dwight Schrute. Um, yeah, so that one's coming out. No need. There's no... There's no uh, spiritual context to that one 
But yeah, I'm glad to see Dwight in a movie. <laughs> see, I think he's going to kill it. I think he's going to. I think he's going to. He's going to be Kramer. He needs. He, he needs. needs to just he's be a Kramer. character. Yeah. Just be Kramer. Don't try to take it outside of the walls of the Kramer's world. <laughs> just be Kramer. Just be Dwight. Well, we were having a conversation earlier about the hierarchy of who's... Well, I was having the conversation. Conversation with yourself? Yeah, the hierarchy of who I think is funny on The Office. And Dwight is obviously... Well, I guess it's debatable for some people. Dwight is number one. Well, see, I I got to agree. I think Jim. I identify with Jim. See, I'm not not talking about... Jim provokes Dwight. Yeah, I'm not talking about identifying with him, but I, I feel like... I get way more laughs out of Dwight. See, I get way more laughs out of Jim because I love that he's this Fingali behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He screws with Michael. He screws with Dwight. And he just sits back and watches the world that he's created. And I, mm-hmm. I just love that. I, I think he's hilarious. Okay. Here, here's, my, here's my second favorite. The, the funniest character on The Office, number two. This might be surprising to some people, but if you, if you <laughs> You're take... you making it out like people care. <laughs> <laughs> if you take it like actually per at the time that he has, like the, the, the screen time, and, and compared to how many laughs he gets, it's 100%. It's Creed. Yeah, the, no, no, I was watching it the other night. Like Who's Creed? He is the, the creepy cre- guy who sits in the back. Yeah, the creepy guy. Oh, the the chubby yeah. accountant. No, that's, that's Kevin. Kevin. He yeah. plays drums in a right in the <laughs> cover yeah. band yeah. for yeah. Steve Miller band or something. No, the Creed's the white-haired guy, and he sits in the back, and he ne- rarely talks. But when he does, it is comic gold. Like there was one where <laughs> everyone, the rumor was going around. Hey, did you hear Pam like uh, a Jim likes Pam? And Kevin walks over. He goes. Hey Creed, did you hear Jim likes Pam? And he goes, "Really? Now which one's Pam? Like uh, it's such a small off." Or, is he or, the human resources guy? No, that takes no that's Toby. Place? Man, Creed's the the white hair guy. He's real creepy. The last episode, he's the one who stole people's <laughs> chips. And he's like, I yeah, steal I steal. Things. I steal things. I've, I I'm okay with it. Wow. I, that's just something no. I like to do. The, is the he episode, only in the second season? I've only seen the first. The only, the he, only might, line, he might only be in the second no, season. No, he's in both. Is he? Yeah, he was one of the ones who almost got fired. Yeah. he was. It was between him and the other guy, and the other guy got fired. Um, the, only epi- the only time that he said something I've actually laughed was the episode where... Um, somebody left poop in Michael's office. It was the funniest and line. Everybody's standing around, being like, <laughs> it smells vile. The entire are office dry like heaving, poop, <laughs> dry heaving and stuff. He walks in and goes, "Somebody making soup." <laughs> hey, but he, how he does his deliver? He like takes off his glasses and kind of goes, "Someone cooking soup." <laughs> <laughs> Wow. So, so Cameron, he's on the bottom of your list, apparently. I, well, no, I mean, there's other people who are less funny, but I mean, he's not top of my list. I like, I like Kevin. I like Kevin a lot. He's just this creepy, <laughs> so deadpan, sweaty, deadpan. <laughs> yeah, and 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 Dwight. See, so to me, it goes. And of course, Jim. Michael. See, my Michael to me is is the Waka Waka guy, and and I just love. I like that he makes the situation awkward, and then I like the reactions everybody else has yeah. to Michael. Right. But but his when he when he has this little monologue, you know, oh, yeah. where it's just okay. him talking to yeah. the camera. He's, he's, so, he's so ridiculous and absurd. Yeah, he's so and and oblivious. Yeah, that's true. He's funny. So to me, it's Jim Dwight Michael. Yeah. You threw a creed in there. Well, like I said, <laughs> screen time. I I laugh out loud at his like disgusting like uh, just cracks me up. Did you see the one where 
uh, Dwight, or they had conflict resolution, and Dwight was complaining <laughs> about all the things that du- that Jim has done to him. Yeah, yes. they're just listing them one after I another. That one. See that that to me is just common gold, <laughs> and I want to do every one of those, but then I can't because I'm the boss. So well, well, <laughs> if I started pranking the staff, that wouldn't be good. Well, the, <laughs> the 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 one where Dwight is the is the volunteer sheriff's deputy, right. and they find a, a a you know joint out in the parking lot. <laughs> And it shows him out there. He's doing his monologue talking about, you know, his his detective work. And it shows him in the parking lot with, like, chalk lines drawn. And he's, like, he's doing diagrams of what angle the joint would be thrown at onto the ground. Wow. So funny. It's funny stuff. All right. Um, that'll, that'll do it for our movie releases. Coming out in stores, uh, CDs coming out in stores on Tuesday, July 25th. We have Jim Noir. Eeny Meeny Part 2. It's actually just a single, but we wanted to mention it because Jim is playing on Relevant TV right now. It's really good stuff. Midlake, who's also playing on Relevant TV. The album is called The Trials of Van Occupanther. Spoon is coming out with Telefono and Soft Effects. It's an EP. Umbrellas with Illuminaire on the Militia Group. Velveteen Cum Laude on Slow Dance. Jurassic 5. Uh, the album's called Feedback. I like Jurassic 5. Uh, Pharrell in my mind. Um, uh, he's got songs with Kanye and everybody else. Pharrell's, you know, the hip hop golden boy. Fireflight, the healing of harms on Flickr. Flatfoot five six knuckles up on Flickr, and Stella Cart. I can't stand sitting down on Word. So there you go. That's what's coming out on Tuesday. Good stuff. That'll do it for entertainment releases. Next up, slices. Listening to Phoenix, the song is called Long Distance Call. It's currently playing on Relevant TV. And the song you heard at the beginning of the podcast is Franz Ferdinand, Eleanor Put Your Boots On. It's the featured video right now over at relevant.tv. Stop by, vote, post comments, and other things. My husband's grandmother was Scottish, and when he was growing up and he was over at her house, she would always say before he went out, Jeff, put your boots on. So what? I always think of that when I hear that. What's a bits? Bits. Put your bits on. All right. And now with slices, here's Kara Davis. China's population of internet users has jumped 20% over the past year to 123 million with broadband access soaring, the government said Wednesday. Um, the average Chinese internet user now spends about 16.5 hours a week online, which is a new record high for them, obviously. Um, so I just think this is interesting because uh, China is encouraging internet use for business and education um, and has invested heavily in broadband service, but the communist government uh, bars access to you know, material considered pornographic or subversive. And I'm just wondering like what, what else that they're kind of censoring, like Christian or religious content. Yeah, I, or- could they even access our site? They used to not be able to get into our site. I've gotten some emails saying they can get into our site now. Um, uh, I've also gotten a lot of emails of a lot of people who listen to the podcast in China that mm. they can get our podcast through iTunes and places like that because there's not Jesus stuff in the description. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're fine with that. Um, and I heard that 
originally people could get the podcast but not get onto the site but i've actually gotten two or three emails saying hey i can get i don't know what y'all did with the chinese government but we can get into the site now well i i remember when um one of the big uh, officials from the chinese government was in uh in the states for you know kind of diplomatic um visit with president bush they were at a press conference and some woman came and just you know started yelling about oppression and, and caused a big disruption got dragged away but they had to stop the press conference it was big news here but the they were saying that people in china might probably never even hear about it because every news outlet is is filtered there like so something like that you know wouldn't even they wouldn't even know about i i have one here um this week yahoo.com their stock fell 22 percent which equals over 10.4 billion dollars that their stock plummeted this one week. day in one day wow b billion with a b oh my word it went down it went down seven dollars a share which is 22 percent to close at $25 and it wiped out $10.4 billion in shareholder shareholder wealth. Wow. Basically, uh, they announced a postponement to a change that Yahoo is going to incorporate regarding their advertising formula. Um, they're going to implement this new thing that will make their advertising a lot more profitable. And they, they announced a postponement. And so uh, Wall Street, <laughs> their stocks dropped $10 billion. And this was uh, on Wednesday. Yeah, or on Tuesday. So Can you imagine... Having $10 billion? No. <laughs> well, I mean, even there's got to be someone responsible for that, you know? Like, ah. <laughs> uh, the, the, the IT guy. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> he's like bad news, little glitch, we're going to have to push back the ad thing a day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's no big deal. It's only $10 billion. That's insane. Well, uh, Kanye West and Paul Wall are... Um, you're going to be in a new documentary about uh, that, that is about the blood diamond issue in Sierra Leone. Um, apparently, there's a Paul Wall. Yeah, because when Who's I think that? he's he, um, <laughs> this white rapper from Houston that's all about having like platinum grills and stuff Aww. like that. Can, can I read? Can I read a funny quote from Paul Wall, who's now all about? Why didn't a, he change his name when he became a rapper? Because <laughs> they can say Paul Wall. <laughs> He rhymes. It's like a better rapper name. Oh, okay. Uh, so, he, he, speaking of how ironic it is to have Paul Wall, it turns out he, he's incredibly socially conscious. Um, here's a quote. Up until I heard Kanye's song, Diamonds from Sierra Leone, I never even heard of the country. <laughs> <laughs> like, come on, man. Where do you, you know, I mean, it's a country that's been in conflict for you. I'm not saying... You have to know everything about the history of the conflict, but you never even heard of Sierra Leone until you heard a Kanye West song. And now he's become a spokesperson for the for the documentary Bling, A Planet Rock. Well, we all, I think we all, it's safe to say we all get our news and our um, social justice information from Kanye West songs. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I, I can appreciate what they're doing. You know, they're trying to raise awareness for... Uh, you know, for a crisis, but I've heard like different reports about, you know, you know, the, the crisis started back in like 2001 during the, it was like, a, it's been an 11 year civil war. So that's even earlier than that. And now that Kanye West has a single, like has, has a song about it. Oh man. Sierra well, Lake. What? Well, have you heard about Kanye's new gold digger foundation? It's actually nah. he's raising awareness and, and uh, having benefit concerts for gold diggers. <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to that. 
<laughs> so yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, it is you know it's called a bling, a plane of rock. Um, so you can kind of keep an ear out for it. But there's also a movie with Leonardo DiCaprio about blood diamonds is coming out soon. And that happens to be where Adam is right now in Sierra Leone. On assignment. On assignment. With Paul Wall. Not, not a mission strip. He's there with Paul Wall. He heard the song as well and said, I've got to go over there and check that I'll out. I'll go see if that's a real country. <laughs> yeah. What's going on? <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for Slices. You're listening to Emery. The song is called Studying Politics. We're playing it right now for Jesse over at Relevant TV. <laughs> Studying wow, politics. Wow. Actually, speaking of politics, it was a perfect segue. I was in Washington, D.C. earlier this week and um, just came across a couple interesting things. Um, went, I went one day to the Holocaust Museum. Mm-hmm. Have, you, have you all been there? No. I have. It's uh, honestly one of the most like gut-wrenching things I've ever experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I know there's, um, and it wasn't just about the Holocaust. It was about, they had this whole section about all kind of other genocides that are happening, even current ones and, uh, resources and information. Mm. And it was such a, such a great thing that they're doing. I mean, it was mm-hmm. just powerful. Um, the part that really impacted me about the Holocaust stuff was where you saw shoes and, hairbrushes and combs mm-hmm. and toys and personal effects, you know? Um, but then at the end of the presentation, um, there was a film playing that was just interviews with the survivors. Did you see that part? Yeah. It's Oral been, ye- it's been years since I've been there. It's, uh, it, and it's just, it just plays. I sat there for an hour. I mean, just sobbing. I wow. mean, it was just, uh, and they weren't doing like, what was me stories. They were mm-hmm. just telling um, about some of the, what they had to endure. They were telling about how, when they got rescued. They were telling about, I mean, that, I mean, they were 21, 22 years old and 60 pounds. And, mm. you know, that just, yeah, it was just, it was intense. It was just intense. And I just, you know, learned a lot about genocide and just how uh, basically that, Genocide, even the genocide that's still happening today is just basically one um, kind of group, uh, social group that sees itself as superior to another mm-hmm. and just decides to remove that inf- that inferior group. And that mm-hmm. obviously the Nazis, um, they felt that all, you know, it wasn't just Jews. It was blacks and, um, uh, and Jews and uh, anybody with you know, handicaps or just right. any, anything that they were just going to obliterate them to purify their race and remove them completely from Europe, you know? And, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm there all day. And then later that night, I overhear this conversation that some Christian, uh, adults or Christian leaders were having, and they were talking about, um, Key West, Florida, of all places. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about how, um, if you don't know anything about Key West, it's a very gay friendly area. It would probably be compared to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And that the new mayor there is a Christian. 
very solid Christian and that several of the city council members now are Christian and that, and that all these Christians are now really praying for Key West to have a major change and, and that they're kind of taking back the territory, you know, and, um, I heard, I heard one of the people tell another that, you know, after, you know, that all these Christians have been praying for Key West, that the Lord would kind of reclaim the land. And, and then after the last hurricanes that they were praying that, a lot of the gay stuff would be wiped out and that a lot of the gay businesses were flooded and damaged and that they lost everything and that they're leaving and that now Christians are becoming more visible and more standing their ground and, and that it's the Christians are kind of reclaiming Key West for God and, and that they're like wanting to see all the gays removed and wow. you know, they're praying them out, whether it's by physically losing everything or just by them being uncomfortable with the predominant Christian environment now and then they're leaving and they're claiming victory. They're saying it's happening. Wow. And all I can, and all I could think of was the Holocaust. All I could think of was that here's one social group that looks down on another social group and wants to obliterate and remove the social group and claim their lifestyle as the lifestyle or their, their life as the life that should, everybody should adhere to. And all I could think of is the Nazis and the Jews. Wow. Just, oh yeah. It's what just, a, f- a flawed approach. I mean, Christians should be known by their love. Why not get in there and help the gay community rebuild their lives and through that be a witness and maybe some people would come to Jesus. Yeah. Rather than it being us versus them yeah. and, and it's either us or you. And if they leave Key West, they're going to go somewhere else. It's not like they solved any sort yeah. of problem well, at that all. Was a, the Nazi agenda was just that they just didn't want them in Europe. They didn't yeah. care where they went, send them to North Africa. They just didn't yeah. want the Jews in Europe. And that's, I, I can't help but feel that that's turning into what the religious rights approach towards homosexuality is, where it's like us versus them. This is our land. You can go have that little island over there, or you can go to your own little world, and we don't want anything to do with you. We're going to push you away. Well, they had their own little world in Key West. Apparently, that wasn't far away enough. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and like, as soon as, you know, people, like, people stop looking at other people as fellow members of, of God's family. You know what I mean? Everyone's a child of God, you know? But as soon as it, everything becomes black or white and people be no longer are identified by their humanity, but mm-hmm. by some segmented group that we put them into, you know, we... It's, it's no different than back what Hitler was doing. I mean, it, that's the thing that really strikes me is about our Christianity... You know, I, I am, the Bible talks about standing for righteousness. I'm all for that. The Bible talks about uh, also loving others unconditionally. And, that, and, and, and the Bible talks a lot about grace and that we all are fallen. We all are broken and we're all sinners. And that my sin that is in my life is no greater or worse than the sin that's in your life. And the Bible talked about not uh, uh, trying to remove the speck out of your brother's eye when you still have the plank in your own. And yeah. And, and, and so I'm, I'm grappling with, I'm grappling with like writing that line between standing for righteousness, but also not condemning the world we live in that we actually are, you know, how do, how do we point to Jesus, um, without, you know, I'm just grappling with all this. Yeah, I'm it, grappling with all this because it's it's internal. It's internal. Like I need to be more concerned about me and my walk with the Lord, and, and that I'm doing everything I can be to be Christ-like daily. Then, then I need to be about praying out gays out of their mm-hmm. businesses. You know. Yeah. And uh, uh, one thing that 
I, I've been convicted about is is seeing is yeah, it's just the whole thing of judging people. But when I, sometimes for me, like I had a problem for a while of like, well, if I'm judging someone in the church, it's not a big deal because they put themselves up for judgment, which isn't a good view to have. You know what I mean? Like it's not that's not my place. You know. Like I read an interesting uh, stories actually ran online and a pastor wrote it and he was talking about how Paul took time out of his ministry for over a year to pastor a church. You know, like it, Paul, the, one of the greatest figures. No, it, Paul Wall. No, not, not Paul <laughs> Wall, although he's a good guy. <laughs> no, but, but the apostle, the, the other Paul, um, you know, he would take time to pastor a church and, you know, he goes on his travels and he hears letters back of how jacked up it becomes. But he always responded with love, you know, greetings like friends here. Like it, it was all about love and not judgment. And whether it's like, uh, uh, so whether it's the homosexual community or whether it's your local church where your feelings have been hurt, it's like as soon as you stop, as soon as you start labeling people as like, well, they did this, so I'm I'm not with them. Yeah, it's easy to lose like complete focus on what it's really all about. Yeah, I'm 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 just realizing that we're all kind of on a spiritual journey, and that the that that our relationship with God should be a journey and not a destination. I think a lot of the problem that you see in American Christianity is because there's they've put down kind of tent poles and tent stakes at this certain place, and this is the Christian life and how you should live it, and there's no growth. They just kind of set up camp there. And I, I want to be at a place where my life is positioned as such that, that it's a continual uh, molding to become more Christ-like, and that when I look back in 10 years at where I am today, that I look, man, I was so ignorant then, you know, that... You know, it's like that it's a continual thing until the day I die that, that God's working on my life and my heart. And how how dare I point my finger of judgment at somebody who's just at a different place than I am? You know, so that's on one hand. That's how what I'm kind of grappling with on one hand. And on the other hand, the Bible does talk about standing for righteousness mm-hmm. and not conforming to the ways of the world and, and all those things. And so, you know, I, I grapple with that too. Uh, that we do need to be known. We knew, we do need to be set apart. We do need to be different. The Bible says the world will hate us. And so that means that we're not just like mm-hmm. the world. The world, right. if we're all friends and buddy-buddy, then the world isn't going to hate us. Yeah. So I'm grappling with that part of Scripture, with the other part of Scripture that talks about not judging others and judge not lest you be judged and, and that, you know, just love and all that stuff because I don't, I, there's got to be a balance in our life. And, I, and, and what I hope is that when I'm 65, I'm still grappling with this. I really hope that it's a journey that daily I'm thinking about this. That I just want to be known that when people see me, that they, that they see me, that they see Christ in me and that, um, that I can die to my own flesh. And that when God opens my eyes to somebody that I need to speak into the life, that I will. Or that if I need to stand for righteousness in some situation, that I will. That I would never hide from or back down. That said, I just can't see how praying, you know, peril against a homosexual community is is a biblical way of approaching uh, winning them to the Lord or 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 living in this world that we live in. Yeah, you know? and I think it's really. I mean, like recently I was reading the Sermon on the Mound, and you Mount. know. The mount, the mound, yeah. My my the, <laughs> theological. Jesus went to a baseball game. Yeah, he he was. He was in the middle of the field. He was on the pitcher's yeah. But he, you know, talking about you know, Christ warns, don't even call someone a fool. You know, 
And it's like, that's like easy to ignore because I like all the time I'm like, oh, that guy, that person is an idiot or you just in close conversation but you didn't with. you say fool, so it's okay. Yeah. But, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like training your mind. Like don't even give, give people the benefit of the doubt. You know, it's like, we're not. Well, we're all broken. We're all fallen yeah. creatures. And, and just because they may have a sin that I can see, um, there may be sin in my life that I haven't seen yet. You know, that. You know, there's this thing that, like, like I was saying, like this natural, like this journey that we're all on. It's like hopefully, as we mature in Christ and as we become more and more like Him, and we, you know, the closer we are to Him, the more our eyes will be open to things in our own heart and our own life that that we need to repent for. And the fact that you know, like I said, in ten years, I want to look back and I hope I see things in my life right now that my eyes aren't open to right now. I hope I see. I hope I'm at mm-hmm. a different place in ten years. In five years, ten months, ten days, mm-hmm. and and uh, you know the fact that somebody else may be living in sin that I can see, they may not see it yet. The God may not have opened their eyes that they need to repent of that thing yet. You know, and it's like I need to love them, support them. The Bible talks about discipling, talks about relationship. It doesn't talk about pointing your finger at judgment. And and the people who judged that I saw in the Bible were Pharisees, and Jesus spoke against the Pharisees. You know, so I. But then again, there's all these scriptures about standing for something and not falling for anything. And so I, I'm just wrestling with this. But when I hear, when I go to the Holocaust Museum and I see that these people are, you know, this is what we believe and we're going to obliterate and literally kill anybody who doesn't align with this ideal. And then I see contemporary Christianity, a lot of people doing the exact same thing. It grieves my heart so much. You know, I just pray that our generation is different. You know, that our generation can make lasting impact because we love, we have relationship, that we that we actually are involved in those communities that older Christians are pulling out of, that we stay, that we be light in the darkness, you know? One one really cool, uh, some people I met up in D.C., uh, they're all college kids. Um, we were walking by the Supreme Court building about 7 o'clock one night, and there was probably about 20 um, we've, we've actually covered them in the magazine, but there's about 20 college kids standing there, um, in, on the steps of the Supreme court with, uh, red masking or red duct tape over their mouth. And they had handwritten the word life on the tape and they're just staying there quietly and they're praying. Um, a couple of them had their Bibles open and they were just sitting there just, or standing, just praying or whatever. That's all they were doing. And one person, um, could speak if somebody wanted to come up and say, what the heck are mm-hmm. you guys doing? And ended up talking to this kid, Adam, he's 23 years old. And everybody who is there um, have given their life for this cause of just praying for the government, praying for abortion that, uh, that'll that be repealed, and praying that the government, you know, the politicians and people will come to the Lord. They they spend three hours on the Supreme Court steps every day, six days a week. And then they spend three hours in a prayer room about a block away, just praying for the government, praying praying for the policymakers in this country. That's all they're doing. They don't pray against people. They pray for people, you know? And it was just so cool to hear them. They, they actually are all over the place. They have a group. They have a group just in the middle of the heart of the uh, gay community in San Francisco. They have, that just goes and prays. They don't, they don't try to evangelize and condemn people. They just pray for them. They just go in the middle of their community and pray for them. And that, that, that God would open their eyes to, you know, him. And they have a group in South Carolina that's praying for families and family issues. 
And they're just talking about how the Lord just play, laid on their heart to pray. And I, I just think that that was so cool because they were convicted. They saw something that they wanted to do, and they're doing it. And they're doing it in a visible but non-confrontational way. They're doing it in a way of supporting and loving. Uh, but it's also taking a bold stand for something. I really think that that was really cool. Mm-hmm. And I talked to them for 20, 30 minutes, and there's a big thing happening in South Dakota coming up um, where, uh, you know, obviously South Dakota was the first state to actually ban abortion. And... Um, and, and what they're doing is it's coming up, like there are no abortions in the state right now. Well, it's coming up for a vote on November 2nd, um, a popular vote to like enact the law. And um, apparently there's just this huge media onslaught from which we've covered in slices about Planned Parenthood and the IRS yeah. are going around and trying to bully the churches to say, if you say one word about this, you'll, you'll lose your tax exempt status. And, um, and there's like all these ads and stuff. And apparently since the, law was passed, uh, pop, the popularity rating ha- or has gone from 67% in favor of this law to 48%. And 51% is all that's needed to, you know, revoke the law or... Yeah, and, and, and if, it, it. if it goes through, it, it, it can go back to the Supreme Court and potentially overthrow Roe versus Wade. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is that South Dakota is the only state that says if you live in the state for two weeks, you can vote. And so Planned Parenthood is paying thousands of people to go to the state and live there for two weeks leading up to the vote so they can vote. And what, um, and I think South Dakota, and I could be wrong, is only like 400,000 residents. So like literally every vote counts. And so what this group is doing, Matt or Adam was telling me, they're going and they're getting people from all their prayer groups all over the country and they're going to converge in September in South Dakota and go around and, and speak to every church in the state, literally every church in the state, just saying, listen, we Christians can't be silent. We, we can actually make a difference and save all these millions of babies' lives. And this is a time we need to stand in the voting booth, you know, and they're going around and then they're just going to literally be there and pray for like two, three months. And that's all they're going to do. And obviously they'll all vote, but I just think it's really interesting that they have obviously abortions on their heart and it's something that they feel very strongly a moral and spiritual obligation to help change. And, and they're doing it in a way that's God focused. It's on prayer. It's not combative. It's just saying, listen, you know, the Bible is pretty clear about, about this and we need to stand for this. And uh, we don't want to riot and picket and, you know, create hatred and, and confrontation. We're just going to pray, man, because that's what the Bible says to do. Let's just pray. God will move. And so, I mean, it's just been really, they've been doing this for like three years, four years. I mean, it's been a long time. And they're there six days a week, all the time. And it's just, a, it was just really cool to just be walking down the street and see them. They're there. They don't do it for the publicity at all. Anyway, I... Anyway, I, There's an article in the um, in the upcoming issue of the magazine written by Pastor Ed Young, and it's about like righteous anger and hating the things that God hates, as we're commanded to in the Bible. Yeah. And I'm also reading um, two of Gary Haugen's books, and both of the books are just full of scripture about justice and how God uses us to bring justice in the earth. And of course, Gary Haugen is the president of International Justice Mission, and they're what they do is go and rescue people who have been, um, you know, enslaved. Or, or some kind of um, persecution and go and, and rescue them. And I think I, it, I hadn't realized like how much of the Bible was about justice and bringing justice in the earth. And, and we talk so much about love and everything, but there is a call from God to um, 
you know, to bring about justice. So bringing it back to the Key West and the abortion thing or whatever, I think that um, the people in Key West, the Christians who are wanting to bring about change or whatever, and, you know, maybe originally the motives started in the right place and they kind of got skewed, but it's like um, if in any sort of inner city or anywhere where there's crime or immorality or whatever, I think it's great that Christians want to go and try to clean up the streets or make things better. But like you said, it's not to pray against people or kick them out or, you know, cause harm to come to them. But like with the, with the abortion thing, you know, we don't want abortions to happen. And we, if there was some, you know, all this talk about legislating morality. I mean, at at what point do we stand up and say, yeah, we don't want abortions or yeah, we don't want same sex marriage. Um, and, but I, but I like your point about how like the, the prayer groups and stuff, there's a, there's a group of missionaries that go to the Island of Ibiza every year and they're on the streets among the party goers and everything. And, and they're not praying that a, a you know tsunami comes and wipe the island out they're out there picking up trash on the streets praying for people and they're seeing healings and and stuff like that so i think it's just God. a different and approach you know approach and, and, and it really comes down to keeping your motives in check you know and that comes from you know not only just like a daily relationship with god but that's you know that's really the conviction of the holy spirit like why what's my motive here is it is am i doing what i'm doing out of love for these people or i'm doing it for because i'm fired up and i want what i want you know what i mean because right. it's easy it's easy to mask what you're doing anyone can say they're doing it because they anybody can say whatever motive they want, you know, but really it's, it's self-examination. It's asking, you know, it's, it's just like, you know, uh, creating me a clean heart, you know? I mean, it's that it's, I want to do what I do out of love. And if I'm not doing it, then it's, it's worthless. I'm doing it for the wrong reason. I I do. I do think it's interesting that, you know, taking a stand against the genocide that's happening, taking a stand, I mean, whether it's, you know, in, um, uh, Rwanda or whether it's in some, you know, Indonesian country or, or, or the sex slavery article like Radiant talked about mm-hmm. in this issue, um, or it's abortion. You know, as, I th- as Christians, we can stand for what is right and we need to be vocal. You know, I do feel like I- I'm torn about the legislating morality thing because it's like, it, I don't necessarily think our government needs to be a Christian government because we are, right. as a country, a free country full of Muslims and Jews and Hindi and other people. And so, you know, if it's a Christian government, that's actually not fair to those people, mm-hmm. you know, as from a governmental standpoint. Now, as a Christian, of course, I would I want the world to come to know Jesus. So those are two different things in my book. However, you know, like the kids who are standing on the s- steps of the Supreme Court, they're actually trying to, like, let... The citizens know, like, listen, we can make a difference. We can stand up for the rights of the unborn. And and then, you know, our government is a democracy. Our government will do the will of the people. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to change public consciousness. They're trying to pray for the people who have been elected. And they're trying to help raise awareness that, listen, we, the citizens, can stand for what is right. And then it will be legislated, you know, if that is the popular majority. I don't think we need to go in there with our minority agenda trying to enforce mm-hmm. our viewpoints on the rest of the country. I think we need to start and change the ideologies of the 
country mm-hmm. you know and it's like yeah. by showing them that you know we need to stand against genocide whether it's domestically or, or globally we as the united states need to stand for what is right and the rights of the people who are being persecuted we also need to stand for you know africa the aid the helping the poor we can make a difference as a country let's do those things yes those are an extension of my motivations for my christian faith but i think non-christians can get behind that as well because it's just what's right mm-hmm. you know anyway um well, that kind of got off track. How about this? After this break, we'll do the feedback <laughs> from last week's editorial question of the week. So up next, feedback. You're listening to Broken Social Scene. The song is Fire-Eyed Boy. It's playing right now over at Relevant TV. It's a good song. Speaking of uh, good songs, <laughs> um, one of the new releases coming out on Tuesday is Pharrell, his album In My Mind. And uh, we have a preview copy here in the office, and Kara's been listening to it. Yeah, I've been rocking out <laughs> or jamming and out. She, uh, <laughs> she, she gives it her full endorsement. Mm, not really. <laughs> I can't say that I'm an avid hip hop listener, so it's probably even more shocking for me to listen to a, a CD with explicit lyrics. But let's say that. Well, it's not just the language either with this one. Right. It's um. It has to do a lot with uh, romantic love. I'll say it that Physical way. Physical romantic. Love. Yes. <laughs> let's see. I'm gonna read some of the track listings. Can I have it like that? How does it feel? Raspy. Dot. 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 So I don't even know what that means. Um, you can do it too. Keep it playa. That girl. Young girl. I, young girl, I really like you is what it's called. Take it off. Dim the lights. Stay with me. Um, and then show you how to hustle. Um, then there's track 13 called Our Father. Which I didn't even make it to. I had to turn it off. <laughs> which is uh, I missed the best part. Which is apparently the... Christian song. If you recall, a few months ago, I played the 50 Cent Christian song. Um, and, and now I think it would, it would be good for everybody to hear the Pharrell Christian song. We'll play a part of it. Um, it's just really interesting to me that Our Father comes right after Young Girl, I Really Like You. And right before, I'll show you how to hustle. <laughs> so here it is. Our Father. Which are in heaven. I'm so grateful for all the beautiful things that you are allowing me to see. The birds, the bees, the ability to do what I do, the opportunities. I know you love me, man. And I think it's time and my duty to tell the world. Jesus is my daddy. Tell me, For who I'm friends with I got tattoos, you forgive me You know I'm so sensitive You know I'm chased by women You know my mind is driven To you my heart is given
So, uh, buy with caution. Um, little little ear should not be around Pharrell's in my mind. <laughs> buy the clean version. Buy the clean version, which took out not only all the profanity, but all the sex. It's actually only one track. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Christian one. <laughs> we, last week, the editorial question of the week was, what debut album was, do you feel, the strongest for that group, right? Right. And we asked for a top three list. And our favorite emails um, that you guys sent in are, we're going to send you some Christian 3D glasses. Yes. Yes, we are. So I think because of the prize, because of the incentive, I think that's the reason for the onslaught of emails we got. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, have a, I have an early nominee. I think that, I think that the uh, three albums that they picked are nowhere. I don't agree with them at all. But they gave one... That isn't in the top three, but I think we should give it to him because it's Billy Ray Cyrus, <laughs> Some Gave All. <laughs> but the, the, they, they nominated three songs, are Taking Back Sunday, Story of the Year, and Hawthorne Heights. It's like they started listening to music nine months ago. Yeah. <laughs> that was Robbie Windeborn. Seth Simmons uh, says Jars of Clay, self-titled uh, album. I saw, I saw more Jars of Clay. I did too. I saw jar, tons of Jars of Clay and mm-hmm. tons of Pearl Jam. Yeah, yep. and Counting Crows. Yeah, I saw a lot of Counting Crows. Well, Counting Crows, I mean... I mean, you can find any 90s alt-rock band right. yeah. <laughs> and say that their album from the mid-90s was their best one because if they're still making music, it's right. definitely... But Seth also had a PS on his, by the way, does Dan uh, Hasseltine still write for Relevant? And Seth, yes, he does. I was with him last week, actually. And uh, he's really excited about our Hope in the Dark book. So that was kind of cool to right. talk about that. They're actually going to help us get word out on the road this fall about Hope in the Dark. So Matthew Matthew French said Counting Crows and Pearl Jam 10. I have one from Andrew Van Wagner. He says The Strokes, This Is It, Pedro the Lions, It's Hard to Find a Friend, and The Cure, Three Imaginary Boys. See, I didn't see a lot of older albums. Most of the things I saw were relatively recent. Yeah, well, you want to go back a little bit. Uh, Adam Clark throws out your Weezer album. It's good. Buddy Holly, Poor Old Lou. And then Poor T-Bone and Carmen. Wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, he was joking about the last two. Oh. <laughs> you know what? I was surprised I didn't see. I think is a great debut album. I love Ryan Adams' Heartbreaker. Hmm. But I didn't see any. I love how a lot of people also wrote in um, groups that have only put one album out. <laughs> <laughs> like The upcoming. Like Mute Math. Yeah. And it's like, well, they had an EP, but. <laughs> yeah, I saw some that were clearly not debut albums. They were just good albums. Chad Pendleton from Southern Nazarene University. His top three are Pearl Jam, Led Zeppelin, Counting Crows, but he has close runner-ups. R.E.M., Murmur, Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan, Ben Folds 5, Ben Fold 5, Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction, and Patti Smith's Horses. Not a bad list. Yeah. I like his runner-ups better than his top three. Yeah. Yeah. Got got a few uh, Coldplay parachutes here, like Ryan Dean said that. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. that's not a bad one. Oh, well, not according to Coldplay. Yeah, not according to Coldplay, but according to the right. fans. Austin Davidson said, uh, Jars of Clay, The Offspring, Smash, and Creed, My Own Prison. <laughs> <laughs> Creed? Yeah. I'm sorry, you're disqualified. You can no longer listen to the podcast. I, I, but what if their first album really was their best? Then technically... Uh, well, but, but, but it still well, has to be a good album <laughs> <laughs> on, its, on its own merit. Just because it's not as sucky as the subsequent <laughs> ones 
does not by itself make it good. Here, here's another uh, Sophia. She she likes the hard rock. Uh, they Pearl Jam ten, Metallica's so, Kill Sophia, em All. Maybe it's Sophia. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a band name or something. Uh, Pearl Jam's ten, Metallica's Kill em All, and Mars and then Mars Volta album. Golly, I mean, I am just shocked at how many jars of clays there are. I'm yeah. just looking down. Um, I wonder if they yeah, blasted I, their list. <laughs> this is great. This guy writes in. Maylene, Maylene and the Sons of Disaster and Family Force 5. I mean, it's like they yeah, both have the one... best debut albums of all time. Yeah. No. And oh my gosh. That's Here, great. Here's one from Sarah Doger. Uh, Copeland. Copeland in Motion, which Copeland's debut album was Beneath the Medicine Tree, not in Motion. Sorry, Sarah. The Shins, O Inverted World. I don't think that was their debut. I think it <laughs> She's was. She's picking just all her favorite albums. And The Strokes, Is This It? That's the debut. Oh, 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 sorry. Here, here's some other good notables. The Postal Service, Give Up, yep, which is I've their only that. album. I've but seen... <laughs> <laughs> Love should, Drugs, Pretend You're Alive. We put and... an asterisk on this that they had to have had at least more than one album. I mean, technically. It's implied. Technically, but she has some on here that aren't debuts, you know? <laughs> so, do we each have a. Can we each pick a winner? He, this is from uh, Scott Firestone the Fourth, which I might pick him just because I like the name. Uh, he deserves three D glasses just he, for enduring. Yeah, that last uh, he's my winner, uh, and he, he's heir to the Firestone. Uh, well, then he can buy his own. I'm just, kid, I'm just kidding. I don't know that, but he could be. Um, he, you could tell he was. He was a. Uh, you can tell what age he is by what albums he picks: Sunny Day Real Estate Diary, Five Iron Frenzy. Upbeats and Downbeats and the Jars of Clay self-titled. Those were all kind of early mid-90s. My winner would be Chad Pendleton for his close runner-up choices. That's valid. Anthony Uribe wrote in and said, A Tribe Called Quest, uh, People's Instinctive Travels in the Paths of Rhythm, Lightheaded, Pure Thoughts, and The Percussions as Iron Sharpens Iron. I, li- I like those. I- I- I'm just going to pick him because he said A Tribe Called Quest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so did you guys decide on your favorites? Yeah, mine's Anthony Uribe, uh, Miami, Florida. No, I mean your own personal. Uh, oh, no. Yeah. No, I just like criticizing other people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't want to go out on a limb and tell mine. So, uh, with this week's editorial question of the week. Editorial question of the week. Okay, so last week we asked you what debut albums, you know, which band's debut albums were the best of their career so far. This week we're asking what films were famous directors' best first films. Definitely Duel by Steven Steven Spielberg. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a bad movie. So some people might have to do a little research if they have a favorite director now. It's true. Bottle make rocket. it work. Don't yeah. make it easy for them. You have I to go we, watch the film. I think we have a few more 3D glasses we could give out even next yeah, week. I think so. I think we you you, you can watch more, the, the movies in the future with the 3D glasses. Yeah, it may not really do anything for you, but you could pretend. <laughs> I, you can I'd make say, other people in the room uncomfortable. I'd say <laughs> Bottle Rocket would be mine, Wes Anderson. Just off the top of my head. See, I think that's a great movie, but I don't think it's his best. I don't think it's his best, but I think it's my favorite. But, you, but when the question, their best, the best. They, well, I don't know any director that doesn't that get ha- better. Yeah, after yeah there's their something first. wrong. Yeah. yeah. So what? I, I so like what the ha- favorite thing. Yeah, because it, your your best first film from a director. It doesn't have to be the director's best film okay. of their career. Okay. But 
Oh, out of your all favorite directors, first films. after all the out of all directors' debut films, yeah. right? This Which, is your favorite. I got you. That's yeah. a, that's a better. So write in to editorial at relevantmagazine.com and tell us out of all the directors' debut movies out there, which one is your favorite? Our three favorite responses will get some Christian 3D glasses that we have left over from the Christian trade show last week. And if we don't have any more Christian ones, you'll get secular oh, ones. Oh, yeah, you'll get the secular ones. We have some fireworks-inspired <laughs> ones, some stars. Because those are not... The stars and fireworks are in no way Christian. <laughs> right. And tell us why it's your favorite film. Don't just look up something oh, and yeah. put it down. Yeah, yeah, the Because you won't win. The why is going to be the thing that does it. Just picking the movie isn't enough. You have to tell us why. Right. Yeah, that's good. That's something we didn't really do on this one. We just yeah. got a bunch of lists. I want the why. Yeah. Okay. So you have to work for those 3D glasses. <laughs> so write us at editorial at relevantmagazine.com. In relevant news, the new issue is going to the printer next week. So we're excited about that. The cover story is Sufjan Stevens. You guys are the first ones to know that. And um, it's actually a, a very cool issue the way it's shaping up. Also, like I mentioned last week, our new book, Hope in the Dark, releases soon, and you need to go check that out at our website, relevantstore.com. It's, um, you just got to trust me on this one, folks. You know, every once in a while, it's like, hey, we have a new book coming out, and you may or may not like it. I cannot emphasize enough, this is a book that seeing it on the website doesn't do it justice. You have to hold this in your hand. It is unbelievable. It is, it's a work of art. It's compelling. It's it's deep. It's a great, great book. So I, I brought one home when I was at home over July the 4th, and it was a book that every single person in my family spent time with, from my grandfather to my brother, who's wow. 30. Yeah, it was cool. That's that's awesome. And and on the long, along the same lines, like the books that I've given out to friends more than any other book we've ever done is Foundations of Faith, which just came out. Mm-hmm. It's the six books. It's... Um, Spurgeon and Pascal and Wesley and Thomas Aquinas. And I mean, it's, I'm trying, I can't remember all of them, but I mean, some of the most amazing books like Orthodoxy and Chester the Imitation Tanner. of Christ yeah. and some of those. And if you, it's one of those things that it's like really easy to be like, yeah, 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 classics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you need to read them because there is no contemporary book that, that can hold a candle to these things as far as spiritual depth and truth and authenticity and just, Every word packs a punch, and I, I, I mean, if you're serious about your walk with God and growing in it, you need to read these books, and if you go to the store to get them, they're like nine bucks a pop, but if you go to relevantstore.com to get them, you can get all six for like 36 bucks, only six bucks a piece. You really need to get this series. Like, I feel so strongly about the books that we're putting out right now. They're like life-changing type mm-hmm. things, and you've, you know, I mean, we're not just trying to schlock some trendy young adult crap. I mean, this is stuff that could literally change your life. And, you know, I, yeah, I'm done with my pitch, but if you have, if you're looking for something to read, that'll really like mess you up, go get hope in the dark or go get foundations of faith over at our website. They're really powerful. All right. Well, on that note, that'll do it for this week's edition of the relevant podcast. Thanks for listening. As always next week, Adam will be back with his frontlines report from Africa. I don't want to make light of that. I don't know why I keep saying it as a joke. I mean, he's, <laughs> been in Africa for two weeks yeah. and I'm sure he's yeah. going to come back with some pretty powerful stories. Yeah, I'm stories. excited to uh, to hear about it. Yeah. So, and Paul, he might, I think he might run into Paul Wall down there. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you making jokes about it? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and we have some really cool interviews and musical guests coming up for you in the next few weeks. So, uh, definitely tune back in. So, that'll do it for this week's edition. 
I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Kara Davis. I'm Jesse Carey. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Podcast anytime, anywhere.